On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irukti yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kart len of winter thing. Skilti. Fis Turmi. Tashe Dochretche nach Vetoch Ara Igornamion on Kestin Echol. Vien Talamaginom Griv Orkar Nrachtum. Yatakshe Torrent Griven Orkarston, Illis Duhalagus Kiminafracht, Gorokligsar Dukashenecher. Only Vin Aun, Thardorakshin, Vin Marav. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This was my life and this is what I wanted to do and there wasn't any any stopping me. Today on the Indo-Daily, the renegade debutante who rejected a life of privilege to become an IRA criminal mastermind. The case opened with the court registrar calling out Bridget Rose Dugdale. But when she was brought into the dock and formally asked, are you Bridget Rose Dugdale, she ignored the court. Born into immense wealth and luxury, Rose Dugdale turned her back on riches to become a bomb maker, a thief and a terrorist. If you're involved in this, you need to accept the possibility that at the end of the day you may have to kill people. Along the way, her roguish Republican lovers, spectacular crimes and giving birth in prison made headlines across the world. I'm Fiannan Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Liam Collins, journalist with the Sunday Independent, to look at the life, times and crimes of the Regal Republican. Rose Dugdale, not your conventional Republican, you'd have to say. No, Bridget Rose Dugdale, as she was formally called. She was born in England in 1941. Her father had been a naval officer. He then became a name in Lloyd's, which was like a license to print money at the time. And uh, she grew up between a 600-acre farm in Devon and um, a townhouse in Chelsea. So she was very, very well part of the British establishment. Her upbringing and education was very much reflective of that. Oh yes, it was um, it was private school, Miss Ironside's private school in London, and then she went to um, finishing school in France, as you did at the time, and then she came out as a debutante, like something out of Downton Abbey. I mean, coming out was awful, terrible. It was a, a succession of dances and dinners beforehand where you chatted up the host, who was probably a businessman, a bit like my father. And you then um, tried to pair off with a couple of the fellows. It was just horrible. 
She then went on a series of parties around the big houses in Devon. So she was, yeah, quite an establishment family of the upper classes. But intelligent as well. Very smart. She went to Oxford. And it's there that she seems the radical journey seems to begin. She dressed in men's clothes, which was a bit unconventional. And she led a number of protests. And according to Edwina Curry, who was in college with her at the same time, she was a formidable figure emerging from that class structure. And was she rejecting the daddy's little rich girl kind of tag? I said, was this the rebellion as such? I think it was the beginning of it. It's the seeds of it. She went through Oxford and she then went to further education in the United States and she did a PhD uh, while she was there. I think it may have been more when she went to, to the US because at some point she went over to Cuba on one of these kind of educational courses and became an admirer of uh, of Fidel Castro and what he was doing. And one of her contemporaries on that trip uh, said it was like being in a, a boarding school, very, very cold and impersonal. But she seems to have embraced this kind of life of radicalism, really. Such was the scene just before Castro's advance guard approached. They had marched right across the island in a triumphant progress, joyfully acclaimed all the way. At last, Dr. Fidel Castro himself arrived. Time and again, he was held up by the crowds. He spoke to them of the new regime now being inaugurated, a regime, by the way, now formally recognized by Britain. Yes, we've got radical left-wing ideology and attachment to communism, And so where does the Irish republicanism come in then? That uh, developed later. Of course, the troubles were now in full swing in Northern Ireland and in Ireland in general. So she came back to London and she got involved with a guy called Wally Heaton. And it seems to be in a very unconventional relationship. They were lovers, much to the chagrin of his wife, who found him in bed one day and apparently... Rose nonchalantly smoked a cigarette and uh, wasn't a bit phased by the fact that the wife had come home to find him in such a position. He was a former military man, but he had become a radical trade unionist and was involved in left-wing causes. And he seems to have been a big part of this transformation. It's quite strange because she becomes basically involved in the Republican movement and there doesn't seem to be any suspicions of her because she's so immersed in the ideology. She had been over and back to to Belfast and Derry and then herself and Heaton decided to raise some money, I think, for the IRA. And they did so by robbing her own family home of paintings and silver and um, it amounted to about £78,000, which is considerable some back in the in the early 70s. They don't seem to have been very good at it in that they were caught. And he got four years in jail and uh, she got a suspended sentence. On the basis that the judge felt 
she, she had just gone astray. And, yeah, and she wasn't, wouldn't and re-offend. He wasn't likely to reoffend exactly, and uh, he couldn't have been more wrong in his summation. And the targeting of her her family was there a point that she was trying to make to her her father in in that, or was it just a soft target? Combination of the two. She obviously they knew the the territory, and um, she said at the trial, you know. To her father, I, I I love you, but I hate everything you stand for. There's a, a link, I suppose, to the spectacular about her. There's nothing banal, really, about the activities that she engages with. Fifty years ago, actually, this month, a famous incident with a helicopter in Strabane. Yes, herself and another maverick, Eddie Gallagher, and two other IRA activists decided to hijack a helicopter and uh, bomb Straban or UC barracks with gas canisters filled with explosives. But Straban, only a few hundred yards from the border, has become something of a soft target for the local IRA men who live over in County Donegal and come across with their bomb. The British Army man a fortified checkpoint on the main road into the Republic, but admit they haven't the manpower to watch all the side roads across the border. It seems to have been a wildly kind of irresponsible act in that they put an awful lot of lives, including their own, at risk. And it was totally ineffectual in the sense that the bombs didn't go off. A large crowd apparently assembled to watch it and could easily have been uh, blown up in the process. So there was this uh, emerging element with herself and Gallagher to draw attention not only to the cause, but to themselves, really. I mean, there was a lot of showmanship in doing something like that. This was against the nature, the structure and the discipline of of the provisional IRA at the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, the IRA was successful, if you call it that, in the sense of its very strict command structure. There was no room for individualism that emerged with Dugdale and Gallagher. I mean, the the leadership abhorred it. They controlled things so, so strictly and they weren't a bit happy. Another anniversary that'll come up later on this year then is Dugdale and Gallagher pulling off a, a rather, again, spectacular art heist. This was the famous bite art robbery at Rusborough House uh, outside Blessington, a magnificent Palladian mansion. Sir Alfred Bright and his wife were pillars of the British establishment, friends of, of the Queen, and they had this magnificent art collection. In fact, they bought the house just to house the the art collection. They had lived very peacefully in Ireland and had become somewhat, you know, part of the social scene. They were international figures, but their house was filled with these treasures and it was a private house. So very few people would have been aware of exactly what it contained. A successful robbery but violent at the same time. Oh, yes. It was April 1974 and they arrived at the house and uh, they beat Sir Alfred, who was 71 at the time, over the head with a pistol. They dragged his wife down the stairs and apparently uh, Rose Dugdale stood in the middle of this gang pointing at the various paintings. Take that one, Goya. There was uh, Gainsborough's. These were huge paintings and they were slashed out of their frames. And uh, Vermeer, the only other Vermeer in private hands, belonged to the Queen Elizabeth. They took them all. They 
There was no alarms. I mean, it's it's hard to believe in this is this day and age that there there was no alarm in the house. They bundled up the paintings, stuffed them in the back of a car, and disappeared. There is a suggestion that uh, some of these people had Northern Ireland accents. Is that correct? Well, I am not. Uh, I didn't hear that myself. I only heard one man who knocked me on the head and made some uh, abusive anti-capitalist remarks. Uh, but other members of our staff who heard the others speak say that one of them did have an ordinary accent. Would it be uh, fairly easy to dispose of these paintings on the international market? I would have thought impossible. This was one of the most spectacular art heists ever to take place, given the, the value of the paintings. But there was very little chance that you could ever sell any of these paintings. They were just so well known. I mean, probably at the time, a couple of IRA criminals robbing a post office would have raised more for the cause than this art heist. But of course, it got world headlines, television and radio, and and I suppose in some respects raised the profile of the armed struggle, as they, they called it. Yeah, Rusper House, of course, famously hit again by the general uh, in, in decades following, twice. Ultimately, though, the Gardaí do track down the artworks to, to West they Cork. They do. They tracked them down to a house in Dandor in West Cork and they found the painting still in the boot of the car uh, parked outside and Dugdale was arrested. Now, she is imprisoned and what is the reaction of Eddie Gallagher to this? Because she's also pregnant at this stage. She is, yeah. Eddie Gallagher and Marion Coyle decided to kidnap the Dutch industrialist Tida Herrema, who ran the Ferenca factory in Limerick. This led to the famous Monastery Evans siege. And he basically wanted 500,000 in cash and he wanted the release of Rose Dugdale. What kind of a man is Eddie Gallagher? He's a person with a dual personality. One minute he's a normal, nice person. Next minute he's a dangerous maniac. The man does not know the meaning of anything. He'll kill just to get himself out of a house. He'll kill Thomas Harima rather than go to prison. Coyle wanted her boyfriend, Kevin Mallon, to be released as well. This was never going to happen, especially under a Cosgrave government. I mean... They knew that if they gave in to any such uh, demands that, you know, law and order was finished, basically. The siege went on for weeks and eventually, luckily enough, Herma survived and Gallagher and Coyle were arrested. Yeah, and, and Herma talks about his training as a psychologist actually helping him develop That's a relationship right, with yeah. his kidnappers and, and, and so on. But I mean, again, a massive event uh, internationally as well, because you have an industrialist working in Ireland who was kidnapped by the, by the provisional IRA. So, uh, indeed, a, a high-profile one. What's life like in prison for Rose Dugdale? Given her upbringing and her past, it didn't seem to have been a very uh, pleasant time. And yet, she was pregnant, which was something she managed to conceal from the prison authorities. And uh, she developed relationships with other uh, Republican uh, women in the, in the prisons. And there's a wedding. How unusual was that? Or was this part of Holy Catholic Ireland and the idea that, you know, you couldn't have this woman having a, a baby outside of wedlock? Yeah, I think um, on the 12th of December uh, that year, 1974, she gave birth to a son, Rory, in prison, which I 
don't know if it had happened before. I'm not too sure it had too much to do with Holy Catholic Ireland, but certainly the the prison authorities were pretty liberal in their attitude and they allowed Gallagher and Doug Dale uh, to get married in the prison. And I don't think we need to go into the details, but, you know, they've had one day of married life and it, it may have been the only day of married life, really. Today's wedding here at Limerick Prison was the first in the history of the state of two serving prisoners. It was the culmination of a year-long fight by the couple for permission to marry. Ultimately, her son is raised outside by IRA sympathisers in safe houses and so on and so forth. That's right, yeah. And uh, the IRA fellow travellers, if you like, took care of him. And they even commissioned uh, an artist to, to, to paint his portrait when he was two or three. And it was sent to her in prison where she kept it for the duration of her, of her stay. On her release from prison... Is she kind of Republican folk hero at this stage or is she kind of a bit more low profile in terms of not really engaging in the the heavy high profile stuff? These spectaculars, as you know, we as journalists love a bit of drama and sensation and she certainly provided it. She seems to have come out with a different perspective on what she wanted to do. She certainly still had the reserve and the dedication to the cause. She got involved in the hunger strikes of 1981 and it was a frenetic time. She was not a central figure like Bernadette Makaleski, but she was on the fringes if you went into the Sinn Féin headquarters, as I did at that time, and she was around, but not in any way a central figure. She seemed to want to rehabilitate herself with the leadership of Sinn Féin IRA. And she does remain actively involved in the provisional IRA for several years, right up to the Good Friday Agreement. Oh, yes. She was part of what they call the um, educational department first. And this is where she became involved with Jim Mortar Monaghan, both of them dedicated to the cause and in a romantic way. Apparently, he was the love of her life and he was one of the high-ranking IRA bomb makers who came to prominence after he was arrested with the Columbia 3 training FARC guerrillas in Colombia. The arrests of Niall Connolly, Martin McCauley and Jim Monaghan in 2001 caused serious damage to the peace process. The allegation that the IRA, supposed to be on ceasefire, was sharing its bomb-making secrets with the FARC had the potential to bring down the devolved assembly. The three men were travelling on false passports. They were arrested coming from an area of the jungle which at the time was controlled by the FARC. It was known as the Demilitarised Zone. The arrests left Sinn Féin in disarray. She is basically involved on on the paramilitary side because Monaghan is developing bombs for provisional IRA which ultimately are being used to kill people. Apparently, a lot of the work they did was perfecting mortar bombs and other lethal weapons and they lived anonymously, apparently, uh, on a farm in Ballycroy, County Mayo where they were able to do this kind of work. And although the guards seemed to have been aware of their presence, they weren't able to pin anything on them at the time. 
And indeed, speculated that the work carried out in Ballycloy Farm contributed to a famous bomb that was landed in the back garden of Downing Street. So that's how effective they were. Is there any sense of remorse from Rose Dugdale in, in latter life or does she just stand by it? She did what she did. Oh, there's no sign of remorse at all. I mean, I don't think she ever spoke to her family again. Her father and her sister, Caroline, who was married to a Tory MP, actually disowned her and it seems a very sad thing, but she had dedicated her life to the Republican cause. And no, there's no sign of remorse in her few public utterances. I still haven't changed my mind at all on the things that I came to, to realise in the early years when it was dealing with student revolution. The essence is there that all of us have to work to bring down capitalism. And it is about how to do that, how to build such a movement and preferably not having to, to shoot all around you. I do believe it's definitely possible. How do you think she will be viewed in time? What's her legacy? She was not just attached to a political cause, but also a paramilitary violence cause. I suppose it's the legacy of sensationalism, really. The Straban incident, the bite heist. They're now part of the IRA folklore and they're an important element of the story. But ultimately, they didn't bring anything forward. You know, Martin McGuinness, who was a gunman and killed people and had people killed, but he actually did achieve a great deal with the Good Friday Agreement and bringing about a ceasefire. So her legacy is not really very important in Republican terms. I suppose one of her legacies is that we can go into the National Gallery and see Vermeer's paintings and others because Alfred Byte and his wife very generously left them to the state. And so we can enjoy the fact that, that they're there rather than locked away in a, in a private house. Rose Dugdale has been the subject of documentaries and books. She's obviously a fascinating figure for a lot of people and she is still with us and she's been cared for by nuns in a, in a home in South County, Dublin. And my thanks to Liam Collins. I'm Fiona Sheehan and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced and researched by Dave Hanratty with sound by Rory Bones. Archive clips from TG Cahar's Manon IRA, the BBC News, the Associated Press and the Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in mon Europe the end of Chacht Erachor. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara igornamion on kestin ekol. Vien talam aginam griv orkar nrachtum. Yatakshe tarin griven orkar stun elis duhalagus gimena fracht gorokligsar dukeshenecher. Nani vien aun tardarakshin vien marav. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.